Romans 8:31. It says, "What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things?" Welcome to Creekside again. If you're a guest with us this morning, we invite you to stop by our Welcome Center and uh, introduce yourself. Also, if you look on the bulletin, there should be a flap at the end that you can fill out and uh, if you're ready to share a little more about yourself. Just a couple of announcements this morning. First thing is Generation Jesus is going to be meeting in, in after announcements and uh, so I think you guys can go ahead and, and start going up. You know if you're part of Generation Jesus, then head on up. A reminder, next week is our uh, quarterly prayer night, so Sunday evening next week. Uh, the exact time is in the bulletin, but uh, we look forward to getting together for a time of prayer. Let's see, with that, is Mary Bristow, yes, come on up, Mary. And uh, Steve is going to uh, Pray for Mary. Mary's getting ready to leave just a little bit earlier for Haiti than the rest of the group, so we want to send her off with a prayer. To Haiti, so we're going to send her off. She's leaving this week, so she's going out ahead of the team. That She'll meet them. She'll be down there for a little bit of time before they go. So we're going to pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you for Mary and for faithful servants we have from our church and those who've been giving and supporting. We just pray that you'd go ahead of her. I pray for safety as she travels, and I ask that you would give her safety and protection while she's in Haiti, and I ask that her, her ministry would be effective and fruitful, continue to give her insights and wisdom and an approach to teaching uh, the, the, the staff and the, and the people there, uh, the nurses and the staff, how to conduct themselves, how to do medical procedures, and how to treat patients in, a, in an effective and fruitful way for the glory of God and the gain of your kingdom. Pray that you should open doors of opportunity for her to share the gospel, and not only just with her life, but with her words and her example. And we commit her into your hands, thanking you, Lord, that you go ahead of us and prepare the way for her. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I also ask for prayer. Mark left early this morning driving all of my luggage down there because it was going to be over $1,200 to go commercial. Okay, okay. I know you didn't hear that, but I'm going to tell you what she said. Okay, just pray for Mark, uh, her husband, because he's hauling the, her luggage down to... Miami or Fort Pierce, Fort Pierce, Fort Pierce uh, because it would have cost $1,200 to ship it down there. So he's, it's cheaper for him to drive it down there and drive back. So, okay, all right. He left early this morning. Oh, he left early this morning. So he's, uh, he's part of this whole process. He's kind of the silent one behind the scenes. So you just continue to pray, uh, pray for Mark, if you would, and I'll, I'll pray for him right now. Father, we just pray for Mark as he travels that you'd give him safety and that you would watch over him, keep him alert and attentive on the road. And we pray that he'd get everything there in, in, in good time and in one piece. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, hey, it's, uh, it's a great, uh, um, and I, I should have just, I need to pause just to pray for the, the word, okay? So I'm, uh, I need to rewind my thoughts and just uh, get us ready to uh, pray and uh, study the word. Father... Uh, here we are as your servants, as your children, and I just pray uh, that you would, in this uh, really, really powerful study of your word, I pray, uh, because the word is powerful, uh, I don't know, hopefully the presentation of it will be encouraging and challenging and en enlightening and uplifting, and I just pray uh, that you'd speak to my heart about the truths that I've been studying and the truths that we're going to look together at this morning and th throughout the rest of this study in the book of Ephesians. 
And I pray that you lift our eyes uh, unto the hills from where our help comes. And our help comes from uh, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That we would see uh, the King Jesus high and lifted up as well. That we would see you, our Father, and the Spirit of God working three in one to accomplish our salvation and to bring us to the place of restoration of the the kingdom that you established long ago uh, before the foundation of the world began. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As as the son of a school administrator, uh, I faced some of the unique challenges. Uh, My conduct in school was always under strict scrutiny because my father was an administrator. Uh, we, we traveled around a lot, okay? So I moved from town to town. People asked me where I'm from, and I'd say I'm from Iowa, okay? And then I was bullied uh, by some of the students that my dad had disciplined, you know, the older students that had been in my dad's office uh, who didn't like the, the discipline that they received from my dad. But there were some perks, that kind of compensated a little bit for the challenges. I remember, you know, every Christmas break when everybody else had to stay at home, we were able to go over to the school and play in the gym. And so that was kind of fun. I also remember uh, that going through the lunch line, now some of this might, might repulse you, but I got a little extra portion in the, in the lunch line. Uh, the, one, of the, one of the head cook really liked me, and so she liked my dad, and so she gave me a little extra the food, and you're going, oh, <laughs> I wouldn't want that. Well, at the time, it was good, and hey, I was a guy, and you know, I don't care. I just, it was, it was filled my stomach, so that was good for me. And then there, there was also the, the free tickets that my dad would get, and we would go in here, and we heard like some really, really famous football coaches. I remember hearing uh, when, at the time, the Michigan football coach was Bo Schembechler. I was able to hear him speak at a, at a sporting event. I was able to hear Woody Hayes speak from Ohio State. And, you know, so some of those things, just because my dad was a superintendent and they got some of these, these perks that went along for it. But my challenges and the way God brought perks that helped me compensate for the challenges is just a way of of examining or opening up to say you know as believers in the Lord Jesus we face challenges and we talked about that as we began this study last week we face face challenges in the church we face challenges in the church that come in the form of uh, you know doctrinal challenges deconstruction is a big thing now it's kind of a big thing where uh, you're hearing people who came to faith in Christ as young people. They grew up and they became very prominent people in evangelicalism and now they're abandoning, they're walking away from their faith and they're kind of deconstructing their faith and so now they're kind of walking it back and denying the faith. We see within the church of Jesus Christ, we see liberation theology that somehow your your salvation by grace through faith is not the big deal but being free from your oppressors is is somehow some is supposed to be the thing there's apathy towards ministry I I was at an event yesterday and somebody said well how, how did your church go through COVID how was that I said it was hard I said I haven't talked to any pastor uh, in, in the United States who found that going through COVID wasn't a, a very troubling and challenging time for the church. And coming out of it, it's, it there's, there was apathy for the church and ministry before COVID. And now it's like it's, it's increased. Then there are always the threats to unity within the church. But it's not just the church, it's the culture that's pressing against us. As I think about what's going on in the church, you know, there's sexual perversion. I remember going to my first trip to Hungary, and I remember well, we were riding on the subway, and it was like, whoa, there's a lot of uh, advertisements and stuff that was kind of a challenge to me as a guy. And uh, one, of the, one of the members of the team says, yeah, it's, it's kind of an eroticized culture, you know. And I'm thinking, well, I live in one here now more than it was then. Then there's also the, the issues of materialism, idolatrous materialism. There's greed behind the, the, the deception and dishonesty that we see in, in the culture all around us. And so all of these things, and then personally, you know, I don't know about you, but if you live life long enough, you're going to be faced with challenges, you know. You're going to be faced challenges. Some, some people are facing physical challenges and struggles. 
Some people are like, they begin to sometimes doubt their faith. Some of us are, are struggling with discouragement and some of us loneliness. Some of us loss. Maybe it's a personal loss. Maybe it's financial loss. And so all of these things wrapped up, you know, there's, there's pressure. What are we going to do? How are we going to live? What do we do with the conflict? What do we do with the corruption? What do we do with the struggle? Well, uh, one of the amazing things is if you spend time in God's word long enough, uh, you're going to come to a place where the Lord address, addresses the issues that are right on the forefront of our lives. And we come this morning, I think, to a passage that does just that in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3 and, and through verse 10, Paul uh, reminds us that we do have an anchor. We do have some perks. Only I, I hate to even say it that way. I, I don't even want to use it. We have blessings, rich blessings in Christ that should steal us, strengthen us, support us in the world in which we live until we come to glory. See, our possessions and our position that we have in Christ grounds us in who we really are. My identity is not that I'm a pastor at Creekside Church. Your identity is not whatever title you have. Your identity is not a grandmother or a grandfather or a mother or a father, brother or sister, son or daughter. That's not who you are. You are not a, a, you know, identified by your, who, what team you support. That's not my identity in Christ. My identity is in Christ. And this possession and this position that we have in Christ should ground us so that we can live victoriously in the midst of all of the, the hostility around us. So I'm in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, and we're going to look this morning at two praiseworthy blessings God the Father provides His children in His body through Christ. Now I say two, uh, but the two are just broad categories that kind of embedded in them are some other blessings, and hopefully you'll see that. So I'm in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, in the heavens, and things in the earth in Him. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, there's a lot in just those uh, several verses, like eight verses there. But what I want to point out, first of all, as we look at this, the first praiseworthy benefit that I see in the text, blessing, that's a broad category again, is that God the Father selected us in Christ. Selected us in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through verse 14 in the Greek is one long sentence. Okay, so it's just one long sentence. So the punctuation marks are a little bit arbitrary because we, you, you know, you have a, a, some periods and things in there that's a little bit arbitrary. But it's a, it's a, it's a song. It's a song of praise. It's, a, it's sort of a, a benediction song, if you will, but it's a song of blessing, of praise. And Paul is emphasizing in his song of praise our identity as members of God's family, revealing by revealing the extent to which God in Christ has blessed us, for which he's to be praised. Now, verse 3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it's a summary. Verse 3, I think, is the summary statement of which 4 through 14 expounds. Okay, so blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to articulate some of what those blessings are in Christ Jesus. But in verse 3, I want you to consider some facts. Three of them. First of all, the source of the blessing. Blessed is God, the Father. He is blessed, which means commended, praised. 
He is blessed or praised for his goodness. We, we commend God for his goodness in the song. And the object of the blessings are the saints. Now that's verse 1. We are the saints, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, so who, so who have personally put their faith of the trust in Jesus Christ and his death alone as the payment for their sins and trusted that he rose from the dead conquering sin and death. He blesses us through acts of kindness. See, we bless God by what we say. God blesses us by what he does. Okay? And we, we commend him because he blessed us. We bless God because he blesses us. We praise him because he blesses us. The scope of the blessing, every, every spiritual blessing, every. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. Every blessing. Now, I have not done this. Some of you have purchased a season pass to Adventureland. But even if you bought a day pass to Adventureland, the theme park on the east side of Des Moines, how many rides could you ride if you bought the pass to go into Adventureland? All the rides, assuming you're the right height. You know, I mean, little kids can only ride, you know, they have the line there. You can, oh, you've got to be above this line before you go. And then, uh, I can ride it. See, Dad, I'm tall enough. I can ride. So you can ride every ride. What, what we have here, what Paul says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, none lacking. And then he kind of qualifies it. What's the, the substance of the blessing? They're, they're spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus or in the heavenly places, okay? So that they originate in heaven. The blessings that we receive, all these blessings originate in heaven. And they're beyond it. They're supernatural in the sense that they're, they're not like necessarily that we can tangibly get them but they affect us tangibly they affect our spirit they affect our mind they affect our heart they affect our bodies they affect our relationships these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places we are citizens of heaven on earth that's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 therefore we're citizens of heaven on earth but as citizens of heaven on earth that we we enjoy the, the rights and privileges of our Heavenly Father as citizens here. Uh, when our team, when Mary goes to Haiti, she's a U.S. citizen. She doesn't give up her rights and privileges as a U.S. citizen. When she's in Haiti, she still possesses them. In the same way that we, as citizens of heaven on earth, still have the privileges and the blessings and the privileges and rights of being, by virtue of our faith in Christ, we're still God's kids we're still here with these blessings and um, what of that blessing is believers the first corinthians chapter 6 verse 7 says 17 i'm very sorry says that we have the spirit of christ and if you went to romans chapter 8 verses 16 and 17 you'd see that that we we also have been become joint heirs with him so when he, paul says you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ that means we don't lack anything, any spiritual blessing. There's no second blessing needed, by evidence by some other manifestation in order to confirm our salvation. We've got it all. If you're a child of God, you've got every blessing that God ever has for you. It's yours now. It's your possession. His Spirit lives within us. We're His joint heirs. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, he's not of his. But if we are his, then Wow. We've got every spiritual blessing. I like the way John MacArthur put it. Christ's riches are our riches. His resources, our resources. His righteousness, our righteousness. If you have your Bibles or your device or if you want to reach under the seat back in front of you, I want you to look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Verse 2 says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing, verse 3, that his divine power, whose divine power? Jesus our Lord. Has granted to us everything, now get this, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellencies. Not knowledge of God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Godhead has given us everything. Pertaining to life and godly. We've got it all. 
You, if you're a child of God, you got everything you need. I need. Colossians chapter 2. I think we have that uh, up on the screen. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, in Jesus. And you have been made complete. And in him, you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. In Jesus, we're complete. We're not lacking anything. Okay? So there's two important questions. That's verse 3. But two important questions that are answered in the text kind of uh, expound upon us this idea of the blessing of being selected. Now, uh, what we're about to walk into here is some deep weeds, okay? Uh, so some people just kind of hold on to your hat, but this is like theologians for centuries. They've been going back and forth and back and forth and all this kind of stuff. But I'm just going to try to walk you through what the text says, and then we'll try to grapple with it, okay? But so the first question about our selection is, what proof do we have that God selected us? Is there proof that, I mean, I made this statement, right? God selected us. We just sang this morning in one of the songs, He sought us, He sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. Who sought who? Well, God sought us. First of all, here's the evidence. The text says in verse 4 that God, and, and just as He, that is God the Father, chose us in Him, which is the Son, before the foundation of the world. God chose us. God chose saints as a matter of His divine will, apart from any merit on our part. For some reason this morning, as I was thinking and praying through the text, uh, this picture came to mind. It might not be a good one, but it is. Uh, how, how, have, you, have you ever seen the, the movie, the Christmas movie, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Okay, I mean, some of the young people may not have seen it, okay? Do you remember that, that in Rudolph, the, the island of misfit toys? That's us. We're the island of misfit toys. God chose us. A bunch of misfits. A bunch of people who don't matter to the world, but to God we do. So in God's His divine will, apart from any merit, He put us into His family, into His body. The theological term is election. Okay, so God's the actor. He chose us. We're the acted upon. When our children were born, my wife and I gave them names. Good, bad, or ugly. They, they have no choice. The name, that's their name, you know, and that's what they got to live with. Now, some people, you don't like your name, they change the name, right? You know, say, well, uh, some, some people don't like the name Elizabeth, so they call it, well, just call me Liz, you know, or whatever. Uh, they abbreviate it or they change it. Or they go by their middle name because they like the middle name better. Than, but that's their name. God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. We are, you know, and when He chose us, then you say, well, okay, so we're just a bunch of puppets. Like, He's up there, He's like a marionette. You know, He's a, a, the puppet master and we're just kind of on a string. No, we still have a will. We still have a responsibility to, to, to respond in faith to what God does in choosing us. Because God makes that possible. What's the first verse you probably memorize if you memorize the verse? It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes. Well, doesn't that require something on our part? Yeah, we, 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 God chose us and then we believe. So there's a will on our part and there's a choosing on his part. Equally, equally true that we have a will is that nobody accepts Christ, nobody comes into the family of God and accepts Him as Savior unless they've been chosen of God. He chose us. And I'm going to look at it. I don't, don't put it up yet, Adam, but I'm going to ask you to look at Acts chapter 13, 48. You can write this one down. Acts 13, 48. As many as were appointed unto eternal life believed. So God chose us, and then we respond, and we believe. Acts cha or John chapter 6, verse 37, I don't have a slide of this, but you have your Bibles and you have your device, so we can use them, and you can look this up. John 6, 37, Jesus kind of summed them both up. All that the Father gives me, God's choice, shall come to me, our will. Okay, And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. God chose, we responded, and God sealed us. That's how I understand it. That's the abbreviated version of it, okay? So here it is. God's sovereign election and 
our human responsibility are not irreconcilable truths in God's mind, even though they might be in ours. Okay? So how about if we just say, okay, we'll let God be God. Uh, he understands it more thoroughly than I do. I don't totally understand it, but I have an idea about it, and so let me rest with God that he's it and, and allow some mystery while trying to teach and be faithful to both truths, okay? That's what I would suggest we do. And he did this before the foundation of the world. God chose those who would trust Christ and be saved. That's what the text says. I'm not just making that up, okay? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now we can look at Acts chapter 13, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. And this happened before the foundation of the world. You know? Why did he do that? Well, look at the text in verse 4. In order that, or that, we should be holy and blameless before him. That we should be holy and blameless. What does it mean to be holy? Well, we saw in verse 1, that means to be set apart, distinct from. I like to say, distinct from what's common and profane. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm there. And then blameless is unblemished. In the Old Testament, remember, they would take an unblemished lamb, so physically it had no blemishes in it. And God rebuked him in Malachi for bringing the lame and the poor and the sick and offering them. No, no physical blemish. Here, it's a spiritual unblemished, morally pure. Is it moral without moral corruption? In Christ means that He's the channel. Only in Christ are we chosen and, and made holy and blameless. Um, before Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook, instant messenger, computers, cell phones, regular phones, telegraph. Printing press. How did we get our information? People talked. And people wrote letters. The channel through which we received our information was specifically through those means. The channel through which we receive holiness and become holy and blameless is only in Christ. Only in Christ is anyone chosen by God to be his child, resulting in us being holy and blameless. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, Paul lays this out. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, uh, stop there, that's you and that's me. And that's everybody. But the previously alienated, is a reference to the fact that he's talking to believers because all of us were previously alienated, hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds. Okay, all human beings are alienated. But through Christ's death, he reconciled you. That's what he says. Now reconciled you in his body, that's Jesus' body, of the flesh through death in order that to present you, how? Before him, holy and blameless. That... We would have this position of being holy and blameless. When we trust Christ, our sin is placed upon Him and His righteousness is placed upon us so that from God's perspective, we are holy and blameless before Him in love. It's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He, that is God, made Him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, you say, okay, well, that's our position, but isn't he talking about more than that? Yeah, he's talking about our position in Christ. If we are no Christ as our Savior, then we're holy and blameless before God in love. But you say, yeah, but I don't live like it. No, you don't. And I don't, and nobody does. So, practically, we're not holy, but positionally, we are holy. But because we are holy, and that's our identity, then our practice should come more into conformity with our position. So we should become holy. And that's what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Be ye holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. 
This is the call. We are positionally right before God. So, you know, next time Satan taps on your shoulder and says, you're a scumbag, you know, you're about the worst person ever to live the face of the earth. What makes you think that God owns you? What makes you think that you should ever have any position placed with God? You say, get behind me, Satan, because God's word says, I am holy and blameless before God in love. Yeah, I screwed up, but I'm going to be made right with God. that, That helps me. Because I find myself, you know, messing up. And Satan taps me on the shoulder and says, you're a pastor? For Pete's sake, what gives you the right? I say, I have no right apart from Christ. And neither do you. This is what's amazing that God has called us to. And then God didn't just choose us. The text punctuates it in verse 5. He says, he predestined us to adoption as sons in him. Predestined means you decide ahead of time. Anybody ever had a garage sale? Uh, or you sell something on Facebook Marketplace now? Don't do garage sales anymore. That's kind of passe. You've got to have a Facebook Marketplace or whatever, or eBay or whatever. You decide ahead of time what you're going to sell. You didn't just all of a sudden ran. I mean, you decided you're going to sell it. God in Christ decided ahead of time. He predestined us ahead of time before. Who would be adopted into his family through Christ? Now, adoption is a legal term, okay? And it just means accepted as God's child through Christ. Uh, I hope you get an appreciation as we read through the text how much in Christ is here. How much through Christ is here. Because, see, Christ is the point. That in Christ and through Christ and because of Christ, we are God's. And so he says, he adopted us, which is through Christ, all who believe become God's sons, but God's children. And he says, to himself, what a great thing. We become his children, God's children. To himself he does this, okay? John 1.12, but as many as received him, oh, he chose, we received, our will, his will, his choice, our will, to them give you right to become The children of God. The children of God. All right? God predestined us. Now, this is amazing. God not just, he predestined us to adoption. That's here, verse 5 of Ephesians 1. He predestined us to sanctification. That is, maturity in Christ. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And he predestined us to service. That's Ephesians 2.10. We'll get there. So he predestined us to a lot. He saved us to serve. That's uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 14, and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Okay, And the means of our adoption is through Christ. His motive is, why did he do this? Or in what way, in what manner did he do it? Look at verse 5. He predestined us, it says, the end of verse 4, which I take to go with verse 5. In love, he predestined us. In love, he predestined us. And then it says at the end of verse 5, according to the kind intention of his will. It's the kindness of God. It's the love of God that moved him to choose us and to save us and redeem us. According to the kind, he he, he lovingly adopts us into his family, granting us the rights and privileges. But that's not only it. If you adopt a child, you give them the rights and privileges of your family. But more than that, God does more than that. When he adopts us as his children, he gives us his very nature. We become not just legally adopted we become with the full nature of God he he gives it to us this is Romans chapter 8 if anyone doesn't have the spirit of God he's none of his and if we're his we have the spirit of God if we have the spirit of God we have God's nature you say I don't think about that much no we don't but if we did then we it might change how we lived might change how we respond to the, the struggles and challenges and difficulties of life. We have the very nature of God. Now, here's the big question. Maybe you don't answer, ask this question, but a lot of people do. Is it unjust that God would choose some and not others? I mean, if God chose, God predestined, is it unjust for God to choose some and not others? I'm going to give you two bullet points, and you can chew on them and chew at me if you want. But here's the first one. The first one is, God is God. I didn't say it, God said it. And here's a couple of verses. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 33. 
Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and how unfathomable His ways. It's amazing to me how so many humans try to tell me what God thinks. And how God's working. That's distinct and not clearly spelled out in God's word. Here's a couple of other verses for you. Isaiah chapter 55. Uh, I think it's verses 8 and 9. Um, My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So I think we should just let God be God. Okay? So first thing is, is it unjust for God to choose some and not others? Uh, well, okay, I don't really, maybe I think so, but maybe I should explore a little more. Here's the second bullet point. And that's, God appears to be unjust in choosing some only if all deserve to be chosen. God appears to be unjust in choosing some only if all deserve to be chosen. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 12, and then we'll look at verse 23. There is none, no righteous person, not even one. Okay, raise your hand if you're among the righteous. Nobody should raise their hand. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There's not even one. Romans 3.23, you know this verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So none deserves it. God's justice would condemn all of us. But His profound love made a way for those He chose to escape His wrath against sin because Christ took it for us. Is it unjust for God to choose some and not others? Well, in one sense, yes. Because all deserve judgment. And he must punish them. But because of Christ, when he chooses some who come to faith in Christ, Christ paid the penalty In love, he satisfied God's demand for justice. Um, I've told you before about uh, the Warner family, Kurt Warner, and uh, how they go into a restaurant. If the Warner family goes into a restaurant and they decide some family that's eating the restaurant that they're going to pay for their meal, is that unjust because they didn't buy a meal for everybody? If the Warner family buys a meal at a restaurant for one family, but not for the entire restaurant, is that unjust? No. It's a marvelous act of mercy and love. Because nobody deserves to have their dinner paid for by somebody else. And as we stand before God, we all deserve His wrath because of our sin. But His choice of some to escape it and become holy and blameless through faith in Christ, whose death paid for them, is the ultimate expression of His love. There's nothing you and I deserve but judgment, and He gave us the complete opposite. So that is the the first, first question. What evidence do we have? He chose us, He predestined us, and He did it in love. Secondly, what was God's purpose for selecting us? Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Now, here's the deal. If you're reading through Ephesians chapter 1, I think you should underline or surround or circle or whatever, highlight uh, verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14 because every time it's all about God's glory. It's God's glory, God's glory, God's glory. Okay? To the praise of the glory of His grace, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. He is to be glorified. God lovingly chose us and predestined us to adoption for His glory. Yeah, why? How's that glorify God? His grace glorified because we didn't deserve it. So undeserved gift given to somebody who doesn't deserve it commends the giver. When uh, truckloads of supplies come rolling into Florida to help those in the wake of Hurricane Ian, do they deserve that? I say no. They don't deserve it. 
They need it, but they don't deserve it. But they received it as a generous gift of the giver. And so God gave them, and it should be, it's to the glory of the praise of the ones who give. And here, it's in the text, it's to the glory of the praise of the one who gave. You see, we didn't earn it, but we received it. God's goal is his glory. We're created for his glory. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. All right? We've been chosen and selected, predestined to his glory. That's the text we're looking at right now. We are to live for his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. And it's freely given. It's freely given in the Beloved. The beloved is his son. That's the reference to, to Jesus. Now, why would I say the beloved is his son? Well, you know, think about your, your mind. When Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist, what was the father's comment? This is my beloved son. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter and, 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 Jan, uh, Peter and Paul were uh, there, and they were like, whoa, what happened? Not Paul, I'm sorry. Peter and John, and, Jan, and Peter and Paul, and who else was there? No, Peter and Paul, right? James and John, sorry, got it. Yeah, Peter. James and John, sorry. Okay, Matthew 17, James and John. And, and Jesus is there, and the Father says to James and John, what? And Peter and James and John, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So the beloved, in, in the beloved, is in the Son, Jesus Christ. We have been freely given, not free, okay? It's not free, it's readily given in Christ, okay? Through Christ. The gracious sacrifice of the Father's beloved Son makes it possible for us to become beloved children. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. We don't deserve it, but we can become it because of Christ. God knows who will believe, but we still must believe. Okay? The doctrine of election doesn't eliminate our responsibility to trust Christ or to, or to share Christ. Oh, well, God knows who's going to be his, so we don't need to share the gospel because he's got them already chosen. Oh, no, don't go there. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And if they don't hear the word of Christ, they don't get saved. And if they don't hear the gospel, then we've been deli uh, uh, delinquent in our calling because he called us to take the gospel. Where? To the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're called to share the gospel and show the gospel. The doctrine of election, it doesn't eliminate our responsibility. What it does, it should do, I think, is to encourage us. Encourage our enjoyment of what it means to be able to get, look at it. You are a child of God. And you didn't choose it. Wow. And it, it should also... Force us to exalt Christ. Ask not, why did God choose some and not others, but why did God choose me? Why did he choose anybody? I think it was Spurgeon who said, uh, he settled uh, this dilemma if you, by this. If you look at the gate of heaven, you look at the doorway to the gate of heaven, and above the doorway there is a sign that says, whosoever will may come. And once you walk through the gate, you turn around, you look over the doorposts of heaven, it says, one of God's elect. One of God's elect. There's other benefits. Secondly, God the Father saved us in Christ. Uh, two praiseworthy benefits of our salvation are articulated. So you see the heading is kind of a broad category. The first is, he redeemed us in Christ. In Christ, now I want you to follow the text, because... At the end of verse 6, it says, He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. And then in verse 7, In Him, the Beloved, we have redemption through His blood. Um, stop right now. Think about your favorite song. Okay. Get a title. Okay. Does it bother you if you hear that song frequently? If it's your favorite, or one of your favorite songs. I mean, is it kind of annoying? What are they playing that song again for? I mean, for Pete's sake, I, don't, I, mean, I already heard that song. No, you like the song, 
right? One of my favorite songs is how great the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would make, take a wretch like me and make him his, his treasure. That, that I should, why should I gain in his, 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 his glory? Why should I do that? So I don't mind hearing how great the Father's love, and I butchered the lyrics, okay? That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm musically challenged. But I, I know it when I hear it, okay? This is the song of redemption. And somehow we kind of, oh, he's going to talk about that. I've heard that before. Oh, yeah, have you? So it bothers you? No, it, it's the God's song. Redemption means the price paid for release, okay, to release a captive. You take your pop cans into the redemption center in Iowa, right? Because you own the can, you give them the can, they give you the money. That's the price to release the can from our possession into theirs. And Jesus Christ paid the price. He redeemed us. What was the price? It says in the text, through his blood through his blood, to release us from the bondage of sin and therefore the penalty of sin and the curse of the law or the curse of sin is Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, purifying us for his service. I did a wedding here a few weeks ago and somebody paid the hotel bill. They redeemed me from paying the, the bill, okay? It's a present reality, our redemption. But it's also a future hope. That's Romans chapter 8. Redemption results in what? It says in the text, the forgiveness of our sins. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. So what do I do with that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Christ took our sin, our past, our present, and our future sin. He nailed it to the cross. It's done. He removed it infinitely far from us and the consequences of it. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103, verse 12. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are, get the words, in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You can never be condemned to hell for sin if you're trusting in Christ as your Savior because He paid for it all. So there again, wake up someday or you're walking through the day, the, along the day and you get this little nod, nudge, nudge, a little tap on the shoulder and Satan starts whispering, you can't be a Christian. You're a scumbag. Can you, what, what were you thinking? Yeah, I mean, literally, what were you thinking? You're disqualified. You, you're worthless. How can you, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? Have you, I mean, have you done any great, have written any books? Have you spoken at any conferences? I mean, all you're doing is praying? What is that? I hope you know I'm being sarcastic. It's paid. It's done. Last week, last week, uh, the, the field goal kicker for the uh, Iowa State Cyclones missed three field goals that, you know, some would say cost the game, okay? And some people just wrote him off. And it was like, he's done. He should be out of there. No forgiveness. Not Jesus. We're forgiven. In Christ, we've been forgiven. God's forgiveness isn't fickle. Repentance of our present sin. Now, we still sin, right? So the, the, the forgiveness is past, present, and future. But when we sin now, we repent and we confess it and we receive forgiveness in order to keep and maintain fellowship with God. But nothing we do can ever eliminate us from being part of God's family. You know, some of you live in families and you've got knucklehead relatives. I mean, we all do, right? And it's like, does that person, can we excommunicate them from the family? No, you can't. You'd like to, but you can't. And some would like to excommunicate us. But they can't. We're family. We're family. We're God's family. He's not writing us off. And he does, redemption and forgiveness are undeserved. It says that these are in accordance, verse 7, in accordance with the riches of his grace. According to Bill Gates, 
uh, not Bill Gates, I'm sorry, Elon Musk, I think, gave uh, $5.7 billion to charity like last year. Now, if that's true, which what I read said it was true, that would be according to his riches, kind of. I mean, maybe it's not. It's probably a really small percentage. Uh, if you're a trillionaire, it's kind of a small percentage. But according, I mean, this, he gave a vast amount. God gave us what he did for us in redemption and forgiveness. is just a little bitty thing. But it's according to. It's, it's out of his riches in glory. Out of his infinite riches in glory, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And so his love, like his grace, has no limits. And it's according to the riches of his boundless grace that he's given us forgiveness. Now, my, my, I'm going to submit something to you. That our appreciation of the riches of God's grace is in direct proportion to our realization of our wretchedness. Our appreciation of the riches of God's grace is in direct proportion to our understanding of our own wretchedness yes if I don't think I'm really that bad of a guy I mean I think, well, look at what God when he got me God he was he, he made a good choice there it's kind of like you think it's like the teams in in PE class where you're picking sides and you get the biggest strongest fastest dude and, or gal and they're on your team you think whoa good we got this thing wrapped up no no think misfit toys and so God chose us before him in the foundation. When I understand that criticism and self-promotion are pride, that greed is idolatry, lust is adultery, swearing and slander and jealousy and bitterness and lying, they render me unworthy. Attitudes and actions. You know, say, I don't know, you know, most of us in here are not really doing a lot of bad actions necessarily, but our attitudes, woo. You know, we're taking people out right and left with, with our attitudes. Killing them with our looks. Cutting them down with our words. And we're unworthy. And then I think, and he still, he lavished on us. He gave us more than what we need, abundance, over and abundance. He lavished on us his grace exceeds our need our sin can never get this our sin can never outstrip God's forgiveness Richard Sibbs put it this way there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us in Romans chapter 5 verse 20 apostle Paul uh, says this, the law came in so that the offense would increase, but I, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now he goes on to say, uh, yeah, some of you are going to say, okay, so I'm just going to sin so I can receive more grace. Uh, no, that's not how it works. Because if you're doing that, then you probably didn't get the grace to begin with. Now that's my paraphrase, okay? But it, it, that's not how it works. God's grace in Christ has been lavished on us. And it's been lavished on us in a way that he, he gave us what? Well, how did he lavish it upon us? Well, yes, in our redemption and our salvation, but also in wisdom and insight. That's what the text goes on to say. Now, some of you know people who can play music by ear. I can't play music anyway, but some people uh, can play music by ear. That is amazing. They hear a song and they just sit down on the piano or on the guitar or whatever and they play it. No, but think about this, folks. If you're in Christ, you have been given wisdom and insight as a gift from God of his grace. Spiritual guidance for everyday stuff. Wisdom is kind of the things of God. Heaven, hell, sin, righteousness. The, the insight is the stuff of daily living. So then in my, my wisdom and insight, God combines the two, and I have been equipped to live the life God has called me to, and so have you. Graciously he gives and generously he gives so that we understand, we can apply the truth of God's word and live in ways that honor him and please him. Um, you can write this down. I've I, I got a slide of it, but I can't go into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 and verse 16. We operate with God's wisdom, right? Wisdom among us. Not the wisdom from the world, but the wisdom that's just from above, you know? And then he goes on to say the natural man, in verse 14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. But they're not foolishness to us in Christ. In verse 16 he says, but you have the mind of Christ. I don't think about that. I think, whew, I don't know. Christ must have a kind of a challenged mind. 
uh, if I have the mind of Christ. No, but I do have the mind of Christ. I just don't always live out it in the mind of Christ. And, and same is true for you and me. These are the riches that he has supplied for us. And the final blessing we look at is he's revealed his plan to us in Christ. So here is the absolute summary of those confusing words in, in verses 9 and 10. Is that a mystery is something that's concealed that's been revealed. Okay. Uh, we used to think the earth was flat, right? No, that's a mystery. No, the earth is a sphere. Ooh, that, now we know it, right? It's a mystery. What was concealed is now revealed. But here it is. This redemptive plan of God, that's what he's talking about. The administration of it. And you and I have insight into it. It involves the completion of his body, the church, the coming of Christ's kingdom in Christ, inaugurated at his birth, the fullness of time. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So this administration, the full administration of time and the fullness of time, it, it began with the coming of Christ. And it's consummated in what's called the administration suitable, namely the summing up of all things in Christ. Basically what he's saying is, you guys have insight into the fact that what God ordained before the foundation of the world, the redemptive plan of God of salvation in Christ Jesus has been made to you knowing that it's culminating in Christ's return to this earth to establish his kingdom and, and set up a new heaven and new earth and you're going to be there and all things are going to be summed up in him so Christ is the goal. He's that towards which all of history is moving so that there will be this restoration of the harmony and the perfect unity that took place in the Garden of Eden. It's coming back. And we have been given insight into this mystery. Satan and his allies want us to think otherwise. And so that's why there's violence and racial tension and hostility and perversion and all kinds of religious persecution. And Now we're talking about nuclear war. It's like, woo. But one day, we read this this morning, one day every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day. And we know that there is coming that day. And so we can live in light of that coming day in the midst of all of the chaos and confusion. We are not the hapless, hopeless, helpless people that those without Christ are. That's encouraging to me. I look, you know, I do funerals and I look at people and the emptiness in their soul and it's just a vacuum in their minds. And what are they doing without Jesus? What hope do they have without Christ? There is none. But in Christ, you and I, by God's mercy and grace, by the kindness, in the kindness of his will, he opened up the heavens and revealed to us the truth of who he is in Jesus and what his plan is, that he redeems us and he's restoring a people to himself. And then one day he'll rule and reign forever. And it's going to be better. It's not our best life now best life is coming by God's grace and for his glory and if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you say yeah well I'm cooked because Jesus chose you know God chose me no you don't know who he chose what you do know are the riches that are available to you in Christ and so my plea to you is let the, the riches of his kindness lead you to repentance and trust Christ as your Savior because only in Christ is there hope and for those of us who know Jesus, here's my call for me, the things that this takeaways for me. Humble appreciation for what God has done for me in Christ. Heartfelt adoration and worship of a king and a lord and a master and a God who is sovereignly in control of the universe that would pick a little misfit toy like me and Use him for his glory and work and bring him into his family. And then finally, uh, holy action. Pursue righteousness and godliness. Faith, love, and perseverance and gentleness. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. That's what I call it. And so here we, we, we take bread and we take juice, what? As a reminder of the riches we have in Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, I want you to take a few moments and search your heart and confess your sin and get right with him because you want that fellowship, not because you're going to be condemned for any sin that you've committed, but you're going to be right with him. And then you come and you take it and you celebrate what you have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, take your word and reassure us of our place with you. We pray in Jesus' name.
my